What was the worst job that you ever had? I'm pretty sure you don't have to think very hard and long on that one. Senior year is coming back to mind, that internship, uh, the break in college where you took a year off, right? So uh, what was the worst job that you ever had? I wanted to get a consensus of who we are and where we come from as a church. So I asked in the only way that I knew possible, uh, through Facebook. And so I asked, uh, what was the worst job? And uh, you responded. And within an hour or two, I had like 55 responses. So that means that we, we love to hate our jobs. Um, <laughs> And so uh, I, I have a friend, Marcus, who was a ditch digger, and uh, my buddy David was a grave digger. Actually, we had two grave diggers, uh, so that's kind of weird. Um, I wonder what's worse, digging ditches or digging graves. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's whatever pays the least. Uh, my friend Laura Lee, she uh, wrote a research paper over colonics, so that happened. Um, we have a were uh, car hops and worked in restaurants as servers. And so when you leave here at Redemption, be sure to tip really big because you reason they hate their jobs. Um, and, and so as a church, we're audaciously generous. So that means we tip big and let them know that Jesus loves them. Um, uh, my brother Chase, he sold vacuum cleaners door to door. And in God's providence, our uh, pastor and plant, uh, leader of the church planting network that we're a part of, Ryan, also sold vacuum cleaners door to door. But if it wasn't for Kirby vacuum cleaners, we wouldn't have church plants like Redemption in Village Houston. So praise God for his providence. Uh, my worst job was selling knives. My worst job was selling knives door to door. Can you imagine what it's like to knock on someone's door with a bunch of knives? You're like, hey, let me in. I won't kill you. I promise. Uh, it, was, it was terrible. It was terrible. I hated it. I didn't last very long. I didn't make a lot of money, and I wasn't very good at it. Um, so, uh, so there you go, redemption. Work sucks. Um, but it doesn't have to. It doesn't have to. And that's what we're going to be talking about today, is how the gospel changes the way that we work. And so um, if this is your first time with us, we're happy that you have Sunday off and uh, get to hang out with us as we talk about work. Um, and so we're in the middle of a series called This Changes Everything, where we're taking a look at how the gospel impacts, affects every aspect of our lives, that God cares about you and all of you. And the way that we live for him is by giving him all our nine to five. That includes our everyday life. So if you guys would stand with me for the reading of the word of God, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter six, and we'll be hanging out in verses five through nine. Um, It'll be up on the screen. You can turn in your Bibles. You can turn on your Bibles if you have an iPad or a digital device. Also, if you don't have a Bible, we have a Bible available for you over there. That's our gift to you, completely free uh, for you to be able to read along and uh, take home with you. So we're in Ephesians chapter six. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or is free. Masters, do this and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. This is the word of the Lord. You guys may be seated. How are we doing? Good? Let's pray, and then we'll get to work. 
Heavenly Father, that you would give us an opportunity to work for you, that you would give us an opportunity to worship with you. And God, I pray that today as we gather together, Lord, that we would see that we work for more than just a paycheck, but for your purpose. Lord, that you have given us all opportunities and callings in our everyday life. And we lay that down for you. And we say this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. This, uh, here at Redemption, like, we, we love the Bible. Do you guys read the Bible and every time you're just like, what does that even mean? You read it and you're like, I, I know it's true because it's in here, but I have no clue what this means for my life, right? Me too. And so um, this is one of those texts where we look at it and we think, what does first century slavery have to do with me? Right, how does first century slavery change the way I work? What does that have to do uh, with my nine to five? How does that help me you know, get my kids ready and make it through the week? And, and I'll say that the reason why it's important is because uh, that it is written to first century slaves. And the way that we view this um, impacts the way we view our jobs. And so in order to unpack this a little bit, we got to take a look at uh, first century slavery. First word off the bat is slaves or bond servants. That's what we use here in the ESV. Uh, it says bond servants. And so slavery, uh, it's a pretty awkward topic. Um, and, and so what we do when we hear that word, we automatically import and dump our understanding of the term from on this side of American slave trade. Um, and so what I want to do is I want to just kind of unpack this for just a little bit. And so as Paul is writing to the first century people, he is not writing about the same forms of slavery that are deplorable and disgusting that we walked through in the early history of America. Uh, what he's talking about is something different. As he is writing to this household and to this church, we have to understand that we are separated by 2,000 years. He was writing to a different church and a different culture in a different context. And so what I want to do before we work into work, I want to just break this down for a little bit. Um, so the difference between Greco-Roman slavery and American slavery is four parts. And a lot of times this is a verse that critics would like to use to uh, say that the Bible condones slavery or racism. And uh, so I want to take just a moment to address the skeptics in the room, or maybe any of those who have any preconceived notions or proclivities that would prevent us from being able to receive the truth and uh, the authority of Scripture. And so the first thing is, is in America, slavery was entirely racial. Um, it was a black and white issue. This was not the case for uh, the first century people in Rome. Um, the second thing is, is slavery was a lifelong status. And so that means that uh, if you were a slave, you were always a slave. Uh, this, again, is not the case for the Greco-Roman people. Uh, you could uh, gain enough wealth that you could buy yourself out of slavery, or you could work your, your full time, and then you would be set free. And so it was something that they entered into, but they were not held to for their entire life. The third thing is that if you had children in America and your children were slaves, then that means that your children and grandchildren would also be slaves. 
And this is not the same thing that happened uh, in Ephesus or to the first century Greco-Roman people. Um, and, and so the fourth thing is, is that Paul, the same guy who wrote this book in Ephesians, also wrote another book to a young pastor named Timothy. And in that book, in uh, Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 1, he says, slave traders will not inherit the kingdom of God. So the Bible outright says slave trading is deplorable and is not good doctrine or anything that God stands for. And so what that means is that there are some people here in American history who claim to be Christians and use the Bible to break the backs of others who will not be with us in heaven. And so if you have racism or prejudice, you won't like heaven very much either because we're all gonna be there. Every race, every nation, every tribe, every tongue will be present in heaven. And if you have a problem with that, you might not be with us in heaven because that's the way it's gonna be. And the Bible has always called for God's people to do God's work. Emancipation and liberation has been led by God's spirit. And so when you see people like William Wilberforce in the 1800s, who uh, in the House of Commons led the way for abolition, who was a Bible-believing Christian, you see Abraham Lincoln through Christ-centered conviction, you see Martin Luther King, who is a pastor, you see Jackie Robinson, who saw his work to break the race barrier as a spirit-empowered endeavor. The, the, the leading of um, freedom, the leading of, uh, of community, the, the ending of abolition of racism has always been by God's people, led by God's spirit, doing God's work by listening, obeying, and following God's word. And so what was slavery for the first century people? Slavery here was a way of work. It was a way of work for them. And so in Rome, there would have been 60 million slaves during this time. And so that means in a city like Ephesus, one third of the population would, would be slaves. And the difference between the way we work and the way they worked is as they would enter into bond servants. So this means that if you wanted to start a business or buy a house, you would go to a, a rich man in town and you'd say, hey, could I borrow $100,000? And what you would do is if you went bankrupt, you went broke, your business went belly up, then you would enter into a contract with that person to pay off that debt. So you would go and you would live in their house and you'd work for them, with them for free until the debt was paid and then you can go off. Your kids were free and you lived and you worked in their house. And so it was a form of work. It's the same thing that we do today, except for we don't live with our masters. We don't live with the people who pay us. So what you do is you enter into a contract with a company or an organization and you say, I'm gonna work for you for a year for this much money. And then you trade your labor with someone else for their goods and services. And so for us, this is work. It's different, but it's still work. And so we work to be able to pay our bills. I work to be able to pay my bills and uh, take Ashley out to Astros games and uh, have fun and you know, make some memories. Uh, I work to, to do that. And so it's the same, but it's different. And so this is what Paul is writing here to the first century people. And so while Paul doesn't specifically write for the abolition of slavery, because what he is doing is he's not writing to the broad context. What he is writing to is the local context. He is writing to a church where there would be masters and there would be slaves sitting side by side together, worshiping together, listening to the preaching of the word together. And they would become like a family together. 
And so Paul is not writing for the big idea of the abolition of slavery of a culture, but he is writing to a local church, people sitting side by side. And the big idea is how is Sunday going to change your Monday? Is how is what we talk about today going to change the world that we live in? How is what we do tomorrow going to change our world today? And this is what Paul is writing about. So that's the question for us, Redemption, is how are you going to live tomorrow that will make a difference today? And F.F. Bruce, uh, a commentary, a scholar, he wrote that Paul here in this verse actually planted the seeds of abolition. Because when people began to work alongside one another and to see themselves as a family of God, then racism and prejudice and classism ceased because they recognized that in Christ there is no partiality. In Christ, we are all the same. In Christ, we are all brothers and sisters. And so this is, as, and this is how Paul is writing to this church. And so the question then becomes, does God care about your job? Does God care about your job? Every day we wake up, we get the kids ready, right? We drop them off at daycare, we rush to work, we're five, 10 minutes late, but you know, who's counting? Um, and then what we do, we, we work, we slave away, we come home, we cash a check, we eat, we get the kids in bed, and we wake up and we do it all over again. And life becomes this grind. It becomes arduous, it becomes tedious. It's the same thing day in, day out, and we're just hoping to make it through the weekend. I believe that Jesus has come to set us free from that. I believe that Jesus has come to set us free from the nine to five grind. That Jesus has come to set us free from menial and meaningless tasks of life. And we see that in the gospel, that when Jesus came, he came to give us life. He came to give us life, but it feels often that our job is sucking the life out of us. And it doesn't have to be that way. The average American works 30 years. Collectively of their lives, they spend 30 years working. So that's one third of your lives. You're spent at work or some job doing some sort of of labor. So do you think God cares about your job? Absolutely. Absolutely, he cares about all of your life. And it's not just the things that you do on Sunday, but he cares about the way that you live your life on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday because every aspect of your life he loves and he gave his life for that. And so we don't need to separate our Sundays from our Mondays. And I think as a church, by and large, we've done a really bad job of this, of teaching the importance of work and vocation. We've made it seem like the Christian life was, you know, simply show up on Sunday, don't miss a Sunday, cut your tithe check, don't cuss, don't get drunk, and you'll be fine. And all those are good, good things. Like, don't, don't do those. But what we've done is we've made the Christian life more about what we shouldn't do than what we should do, which is work. That God cares about your job. And we see as Christians that work then becomes a way that we worship. Whenever God created the world, he did so with his hands. God worked. God worked for six days. And on the seventh day, he rested. And then also when God made man, he gave us dominion over the earth. He, he made man, he said, it is good, now get to work. And so we see that as Christians, um, the, the work or vocation is not a product of the fall. It's not a product of the fall. It's a product of creation. We hate our jobs because of the fall. 
But because of creation, we have a God-given commission and command to do good work. And the good news is that Jesus enters in to redeem us back from the fall and invites us to join him in the renewal of all things. So we could redeem our work through the life and death of Jesus. And so we see as Christians that work is a calling. And we worship a guy who worked. I mean, Jesus, as he entered into human history, he got a job. He had a job for the first 30 years of his life. He was working. He was swinging a hammer. He was building tables. He was working construction. He was a blue-collar, working-class guy. He worked for his family's business. And Jesus' worship didn't start the day that he began preaching and teaching. Jesus' worship began the day that he began working that he obeyed his mother and earthly father, Joseph, that he worked for the family business, that he entered into contracts to trade goods and labor, and that Jesus worked hard and Jesus worked well. And so we worship a guy who worked. We worship a God who works. But sadly, many of us in America, we worship our work. We worship our work. And instead of finding work as an opportunity, we find work as our identity. And when we place our identity in our work, We lose our job, we lose ourselves. When we place our identity into work, then it begins to take the place of the things that God has blessed us with, like family, like church, like community. And then it becomes a burden instead of a blessing. And we spend our life working and grinding and laboring and toiling. And we find no happiness, we find no joy. But what if there was a different way What if there's a different way to see work? And this is what Paul is writing to us here, is that work is a form of worship. Work is a way that we glorify God. Work is an opportunity and not just your identity. And so earlier in the book of Ephesians, there's a verse, it's the simplest verse that I believe uh, describes Christianity. And it says, you are saved by grace, not by works. Saved by grace, not by works. And a couple of verses down, it says, uh, we are predestined to do good works. And so we are saved by grace, not works, but we are called to do work. And so this means that, you know, if, if you're a, a teacher, then you're a teacher like Jesus. This means that if you're a nurse, then you save lives like Jesus. This means if you're a construction worker, if you, you know, swing a hammer, if you uh, climb up ladders and plants and refineries and factories, then you're like Jesus. Swing a hammer for the glory of God. If, if you're like, a, whatever you do, we do it as Jesus has done it. If you're a student, listen and learn. If, if you're a missional community leader, if you're a big brother, you got responsibilities. Whatever it is that God has called you to do, do it like Jesus would. And we see that our work becomes an opportunity for us to be like Jesus. And let me say this as well. Work is not only what you are paid to do. Work is also what you're not paid to do. Moms, can I get a witness? Right, moms, anybody? You, you, don't, you don't wake up on Saturday night like, oh yeah, the kid throw up. Yeah, overtime. <laughs> time and a half. What's time and a half of zero? Zero, right? Yeah, you're not like, whoa, yeah, I got 60 hours this week. Oh, what about our serve team? Serve team, you come here, you set up 8 o'clock every Sunday morning, and the night before, college night, had a kegger, and uh, you come in, and you're picking up beer bottles and cigarette butts and uh, cleaning the toilets, right? How much do you get paid for that? 
Nothing, nothing. We'd love to, but we can't, and we won't. Because your reward is seeing lives changed every single week. That's your reward. So thank you so much for serving. Without you, none of this would be possible. Moms, you're my hero. So this is what Paul is writing. We need to change and see the way that Jesus has called us to work into a better way. And he writes that when we see this, we see that Jesus becomes our boss. And so Paul gives us some simple steps to change the way that we view the way that we work. What this means, when we begin to see that Jesus is our real boss, it changes the way we view our jobs. Now we know that Jesus has a job that is beyond our job. Jesus has a calling that is beyond our calling. And when we recognize this, we see that we don't just work for a paycheck, but we work for a purpose. When we see that as Christians, there's something more than money that should motivate us. We see that as an opportunity to provide for the mission of God. We see it as an opportunity to provide for our children, to provide for our families. Then work becomes an opportunity and no longer in our identity. And so as Christians, we do good work because God has saved us by his grace. And it's by grace that we work. So we'll take a look at four ways that Paul writes here that we can work like Jesus. First is for us to work respectfully. Have you ever, you know, worked for a guy and you're like, I'm smarter than this guy? Right? Same. Me too. You're like, I, I, I can't believe he's asking me to do that. Right? I, I have nine other ways that's better. I can think of all these different ways that this guy's an idiot and I'm smarter than him. And, and so when someone asks us to do a job, we don't do it and we subvert their authority. And so here, Paul tells us to work respectfully. He tells us simply to obey. And that's a really hard word for us 21st century people to understand, It's to obey. What would life be like if all the children were disrespectful and uh, disobeyed their parents? Right, we don't have to think very hard about that one because it happens all the time, right? And so Paul is writing here to tell us to be obedient, to work respectfully, to obey. One of the things that the Bible says is the golden rule is to do unto others as you would have them to do unto you. So just think about it this way. What if everyone at your job worked like you do? Is that a place you would want to work? What if everyone at your job uh, treated you the way you treat your job? Is that a way, a place that you would want to work? You think about it. You know, you say, like, this job is beneath me. I'm better than this. And so here's a piece of advice that I always say to our team here is that leaders lead at every level. A leader leads regardless of where they're at. A leader leads at every level. This means that if you are, you know, cleaning toilets, then you teach people how to clean toilets. This means that if you're working on a fry line at a restaurant, then you lead that fry line and you teach them and lead them. This means if you're working at the top of an organization, then you lead others. And we do so respectfully. We don't lord over them, we lead them. Just the way that Jesus led us. In the same way that Jesus loves us, we too are told and called to work respectfully. And so leaders lead at every level. And no matter where you find yourself out, remember that Jesus is the real leader and that Jesus is the ultimate boss. And so what that means for us as a Christian is that we don't work for a paycheck, but we work for a purpose. Something more than money motivates us. It's our Lord Jesus. And so when we follow Jesus, it leads us to work like Jesus, and that means for us to work respectfully. 
The second thing is to work wholeheartedly. 13% of Americans like their jobs. Only 13%. That means the other 87% of us hate our jobs and probably the other 13%. My friend Kayla loves her job. And uh, when we hang out, uh, we, we talk and she tells me, she said, I can't wait to get up to go to work in the morning. I'm like, what is wrong with you? Um, and I have no reason to think she's lying to me. She loves her job. She tells me whenever we get together uh, throughout the week, she's like, hey, I work in prenatal surgery. It's amazing. I love, I love what I do. And I'm, I'm pretty jealous of that. But I mean, I love what I get to do, you know, here when I teach and preach here at Redemption. Um, but I also have side jobs, and so, uh, like, I have my process, my grind, and so she loves her job. And so, um, if you're like Kayla, this part's not for you. This is for the other 87% of us. It tells us to work wholeheartedly. And you can tell when your heart's not in a job, can't you? You're just kind of like, just kind of doing it, you know, just put that there, I'm gonna put that over there, I don't care, you know. Uh, but Jesus didn't do that for us. Jesus worked wholeheartedly. And so we need to work like Jesus. When I was in college during the summer, I would work out at my grandfather's pipe fabrication shop. It's a place called Crown Pipe Shop. Um, and I spent my summers um, carrying heavy flanges, doing labor work. You know, I was a welder's helper. I would load pallets and I would burn trash. And that job taught me something. That job taught me I wanted to go to college uh, and not follow in my family's tradition of labor. Um, everyone in my family works at Crown. Actually, my wife just started working at Crown. So um, it's kind of like a family tradition to, to work in there. Um, and so I knew that my calling was to go somewhere else. But whether or not you work in labor or if you work in retail waiting tables, then you know this saying. If you got time to lean, you got time to clean. Yeah. So what do we do when the boss isn't watching? We're not working right? We're surfing Facebook, you know, we're clocking in, clocking out a little early, a little late. Uh, and so what do we do when the boss isn't watching? We're not working. And what that is, is let's be honest, that's stealing. We're stealing from our boss. We're stealing from our jobs. We're stealing from our work. We're stealing $15 an hour. The greatest loss of a company or organization is not theft from the outside, but it's theft from the inside. It's shrink, it's poor workmanship. It's people who don't work wholeheartedly. So as Christians, we give our heart to Jesus and he gives us a new one. And so as Christians, we should work with a whole heart and a new heart. The third point is to work willingly. Have you ever worked with somebody who has a bad attitude? She's got a bad attitude. They, can't, they come in, they hate their job, you know, they hate you, they hate the boss, they hate themselves, they hate their cat, they hate everybody. What's it like to work with that person? It sucks. It's horrible. And it brings the whole organization down. It brings the whole morale down. And so Jesus offers us another way to view this, is that we see work becomes a form of worship, and that our work is the way that we glorify God. And so do you think when Jesus was you know, working, that he was building tables, that you know, he built tables with crooked legs? Do you think Jesus built tables where the drawers didn't come out all the way and the, the ends weren't flush? I seriously doubt that a table ever came out of Jesus's workshop not perfect. The same God who created the world with his hands also made tables for 30 years with his life. And so when Jesus made tables, he made the best tables. 
He made tables with his whole heart. He made tables. He gave of himself, placed himself in his work. And the tables that left his workshop, I'm sure, according to the best of his ability, were perfect. And so for us as Christians, we want to work like Jesus, then we do our best job with a willing and a whole heart. And so for that, I mean, so we got to give of ourselves to our jobs and we give of ourselves to our work because ultimately our work is a witness. What does it mean for us when we go to work and we do half-heartedly, we do a half job and we tell people that we love Jesus? How does our work look? How does our work reflect the glory of the creator? And we can't work unwillingly and we can't go in with a bad attitude. You can't be a jerk and work for Jesus. And so we have to give our, of ourselves to the jobs that we do. And fourthly is we are told to work expectantly. We are to work expectantly, redemption, because ultimately we're all gonna stand before God in heaven and have to give a performance review. And that even if our earthly boss isn't watching, our heavenly boss always is. And he's a good boss and he loves you. And so when we work hard, we do our best, we can get some rest and we can know that it was a good day and that we can be rewarded when we get to heaven by our heavenly father. And so even if our earthly boss isn't watching, we can work knowing that our heavenly father is. That our boss, Jesus, is in heaven and he sees everything that we do, both good and bad. He sees the things that we should do and the things that we shouldn't do. And he gives us and rewards us and he also forgives us. And so at the end of the day, we can just do our best and we can get some rest. And those are four ways here in this text that Paul tells us that the gospel changes the way we work. And so what the big idea behind all of this is that Jesus has something better for you. Jesus has a better way of life than simply getting by. Jesus has a better way of life than just going to work and coming home and doing it all over again. The way the gospel changes the way we work is that we don't work for a paycheck, but we work for a purpose. Like I said earlier, and I'll say it again, something more than money motivates us. It's to send missionaries. It's to uh, work with our lives. It's to support our families. Work has a greater purpose, and you are called into a greater reality. You are called into a greater uh, life than just nine to five and go to bed. So the gospel changes the way we work. And when we recognize this, it's no longer Jesus um, and work. Then it becomes Jesus in work. Did you guys catch that? It's no longer Jesus and work, but then it becomes Jesus in work. And when we begin to work like Jesus, then people begin to see Jesus in our jobs. And what this means as Christians is that we work through Christ. When Jesus gave his life and he died for our sins and we place our trust in him, he gives us the promise of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes inside of us, God of the universe, the one who created the earth with his hands, now resides inside of you. The Holy Spirit that hovered over the waters of the earth has now made a home in your heart to lead you and to guide you. And so we don't work alone. We work with him. And that Christ works through us. And nothing that we do in our life, you do alone. So we see that we work through Christ. Another way is that we work like Christ. That Jesus worked, and so we also work. That Jesus' work was a witness and when Jesus worked with his hands, his reputation went before him. When Jesus burst onto the scene as he began to preach and teach, people doubted. They said, hey, isn't this the carpenter? His job went before him. His reputation went before him. 
And so when we as Christians work, we work like Christ so that our work becomes a witness. And the third way is that, uh, is, is that we work for Christ. And what this means for us as Christians is that uh, there is no breakdown between secular and sacred. And I know that I stand up on this stage and I preach and teach every Sunday, uh, but your job is just as, if not more important than mine. And that there is no secular job and there is no sacred job. Your job, whether you are working in a plant, whether you're a teacher, whether you're working in a restaurant, whatever you may be doing, your job is just as important as mine. Your job is just as sacred as mine. There is no breakdown between secular and sacred. All of work is for God's glory. All of work is for God's worship. There is no square inch of this universe that God does not declare as his own and that God does not declare as good. And so whatever you do, it is a form of worship for you. It is your witness. It is the way that you change the world. And think about it this way. You've been given an opportunity that I have not been given. If you work in a plant, I can't go preach in the plant, but you can. If you, you know, if you work in a restaurant, I can't go back there and I can't tell them about Jesus, but you can. If you're a teacher, you have more opportunity to reach students than I do. And that God has called all of us to be a part of his great work. It's not just about what we do on a Sunday, but it's how we live our lives every day after that. This is how a Sunday changes your Monday and your Tuesday, and this is how your job can change the world. And I know we talk all the time like, hey, we're gonna go change the world. How? Through our work. Through living lives of honest, diligent, hard work. When we see that this is what Jesus has called us to do, your work can change the world. Think about it. You know, we've been talking about people who work in refineries and plants. I say that because that's what the majority of people in Beaumont do. We either work in plants, we work in education, or we work at a hospital. So if you work in a plant, you make, you know, rubber pallets. So you make these rubber pallets, and you might just think, hey, I'm just sweating like crazy, working really hard, and I'm just making these little rubber pallets. But do you know what those rubber pallets do? They change the world. Those little pieces of rubber pellets can change the world. You work in a refinery, you make gasoline so that a single mom can afford gas to drive her kids to school. And then she drives her kids to school where there is a teacher who is working for way too little pay to teach the next civic leader, to teach the next artists, to teach the next engineers who then can take that and they can re, uh, redistribute it or they can multiply it into the community that they live in. Your work is not meaningless. Your work is very important. It is the way that God has intended for the world to flourish. That when God created, he said, gave man dominion. And he said, go and, and work. And it's God's intention for the flourishing of the world. So what would it look like if we created a church if we laid the foundation today for a church that worked hard for the glory of God, that knew what it was like to have a job, that people in the community would call redemption and they would say, hey, do you have anyone looking for a job? Because your people know how to work. Wouldn't that be an amazing thing? If you have schools who are calling asking for teachers, if you have restaurants who are calling asking for servers, wouldn't that be a beautiful thing if we could set the example for the city just as Jesus has set the example for us? 
What could we do in this community if we worked to the glory of God in our jobs? What could we do for the people that we work with when we see the gospel flourishes in our lives and we go to work, the gospel will flourish in the lives of the people that we work with as well because we'll do so diligently, willingly, respectfully, and it changes everything. And this is why the gospel changes the way we live. And our boss, Jesus, is always watching us. And even if our earthly boss does not reward us, he does. And one way he rewards us is internally. He will reward you internally. There's nothing better than coming home after a hard day's of work and knowing you did a good job. A clean conscience is priceless, right? You're like, what is just something rewarding when you come home and you're just like, that was a good day. It's priceless, right? You get your internal reward. The second way is he rewards us externally. If you do a good job, you might get promoted. If you do a good job, you get a raise. You do a good job, you land another job. And people recognize your hard work and they honor you and they respect you because of it. So you see, if you work hard, you get an external reward as well. And even if you don't get a promotion, even if you don't get a raise, we'll celebrate you here at Redemption because we love you. We love you and we think you're doing a great job. And so we'll celebrate you. Um, and I'll, I'll tell you this from my life. Uh, I worked, as, when I waited tables, I worked really hard. Uh, and I didn't really start making a lot of money. Um, I started tithing. I started giving. I started serving. I joined a church. But it didn't make me rich. God didn't just open the floodgates of heaven and just hundreds were falling everywhere. Um, but I began to work for God's glory. And uh, when I did, I noticed that I got better hours because I worked better. And so they would put me in a better spot because I worked harder than people did. So I made more money, not because I necessarily started tithing or not because I necessarily you know, did anything that God was super faithful in his favor on me. It was just that I just started working because before I wasn't. And when you do that, your bosses recognize it. They recognize there's something different about the way this person works. They love their job. And you can tell them, I love my job because I love Jesus. And that we will be rewarded in that way. And the third way is we'll be rewarded eternally. That, that Jesus gives us our greatest reward in heaven. And in heaven, we are storing up our treasures. And that even if your employer doesn't pay you on this side, Jesus will pay you on the other. And Jesus has a better 401k and pension than your boss does, Right? Jesus' 401k and pension is way better. He's got a way better retirement plan. Uh, and, and, and so we can work for Jesus. And the good news about working for Jesus, for some of us, is he doesn't do background checks. And he welcomes all of us to come and to serve with him and to place our treasures in heaven. And that even in this life, if we don't get rewarded, our heavenly father will reward us. Amen? Amen. And this is the way that gospel changes the way we work. And the reason why the gospel changes the way that we work is simply because the gospel works. So the gospel works. That Jesus would give of his life so that way we could live. That Jesus would die the death that we deserve so that way we can live with him. That Jesus would work on this earth and work in our hearts so that way we can work with him. The gospel works and the gospel changes the way we see everything that our life is not our own, that our love is not our own, that our work is not our own. And everything then becomes about Jesus. 
And when Jesus flourishes in your life, it changes everything in this world. The gospel works. So I invite you to give your life to Jesus. Some of you have been working under the wrong boss. You've spent your life working for the wrong boss and you're wondering why it's not working out. And the good news is that you can transfer bosses without changing jobs. Did you know that? You can transfer bosses without changing jobs. Make Jesus your boss. Make Jesus your boss today. You've been working for the wrong reasons and you're wondering why life is the way it is. You are a slave and your job is your master. You are not free. Your identity isn't found in the things that you do and it is not found in the things that Christ has done. And so you can give your life to Jesus and he will give you a greater purpose for your life than just working day in, day out, being a slave. And that in Christ, you will find that there is passion and purpose. There is reason. In Christ, we can find a new life as possible. So I invite you, as I invite the band forward to come and lead us in a couple of songs, I invite you to give your lives to Jesus and give your work to Jesus. And then let Jesus work in you, through you, so that others can come to know him. I invite you to come and work for Jesus. And so redemption, I don't really have to give you much of a challenge today. Um, well, I do, uh, but I don't, most everyone that I've met here works. Um, everyone in our missional community at my house, I have a job. Everyone in our other ones, we're all working. And so I think that's amazing. Um, you know, considering that most millennials and young adults, like they hate work. Um, but you guys, you guys actually work pretty good, so I don't have to rebuke anyone. It's, it's good, it's good. Um, and so the ones of us who aren't working, it's not intentional. And so we're praying for you with a job. Uh, let us know how we can pray for you, and I'll invite you forward in just a sec to, if you need a job or you need renewal in your job, you can come to one of the praying elders and receive prayer. And we'd love to pray for a job for you. Um, and so that's amazing, but you know what? Maybe we need to go to our coworkers or employers and ask for forgiveness because we realize that we haven't been working the way God's called us to work. And we need to go to them and we need to say, hey, I have not been a good example of the faith that I have. I know it's hard, but it's worth it. It's worth it to think about the way that we work and the responsibilities that we have at our jobs. So I invite you to do that. And then also I invite you to work with us here at Redemption. Work is not only things that we are paid to do, but also the things we are not paid to do. So I invite you to serve with us, to work on the team here on a Sunday morning. Uh, your reward will be with you in heaven. And Jesus pays really well. Amen? Amen.